Emily Friedman here, Tom in the back, my friend Jared Smith, who arranged for this to happen. It's a, a real privilege to be here. It's great to hear so much good poetry. So thank you for inviting me. Um, I lived in Minneapolis a long time ago, from 69 to 1974, and uh, it was my fate, you might say, to cross the Mississippi River almost every day. It's uh, separated the part of the West Bank campus of the University of Minnesota from the East Bank. And I spent a lot of time looking down from the bridge at, uh, at the river. Everybody who was around in that period knew in 1971 that John Berryman, our better poet than all of us, had uh, jumped off the bridge. And uh, there was this thing about always looking downriver. Nobody ever stood on the bridge and looked upriver, <laughs> ever. <laughs> and uh, at some point, as uh, I was going through various uh, things, I, uh, I mentioned to a friend that uh, we ought to go down to New Orleans and see where the river went. And he, he thought that was a great idea. And we did in 1972, which is really what the first poem I'll read to you sets up. <clears throat> Let me start with that. I'd stood on that cold bridge, 1972, in Minneapolis, shadowed the careless current, stroked the iron rail that lured release. Jump, and everything would cease. Even hard words that pursued me until all thought join the river. I didn't jump, healed by drier means, and lived alone for temptation, desire. Looked for my chance to follow the river's hip-swiveling mystery down to the lowest ripples. My fugitive friend Jim, suddenly free, his wife gone, free but not more happy. We cut pocket knife oaths to take the living stream down to the bronze tail of General Jackson's horse in New Orleans. Call me Huck Finn, I declared. Making me Nick Jim, he asked with a slouch. I was telling someone the story about that trip and I couldn't remember too many details about it. And for the hell of it, I called up Jim and I said, hey, what do you remember about the trip? And he mentioned about three or four things, which are the exact same three or four things that I remembered and no more. So I said, let's do this again. And we did in uh, 2005. Now, as I read on, um, a lot of these poems are laced with little extracts from the writings of Mark Twain, who knew a tour thing about the Mississippi River. And these appear in the poetry in italics but obviously you can't see the italics. So I will hold my finger up in this manner when I'm quoting a line from Mark Twain with due respect, and maybe you'll think they're the best lines. Um, sometimes I do. Anyway, this time, 2005. The river this time meant second sight. Recognized him at once, old and white-headed, the boy of 15. 
We'd see what Jim and I saw 30 years before the millennium. Two men, 29, divorced, crazy with freedom. Seeing what we'd seen completely gone. Gone the way a slender birch tilts to the running current, slips roots, thrashes, drowns. Gone as a splintery oak thickens its limbs into unrecognizable age. Gone the way two men get bleached under fast-moving suns, rained upon, lose the shade of hair, their speed. Made a trumpet of his hands at my ear in a yell like a foghorn. First time, spirited boys laughed at everything unfamiliar. This time, curious but wary, scenting the past in its strange shapes, same damn fools, Sam. That comes from a little bit of Mark Twain's autobiography where he went back to his hometown in Hannibal, came upon a friend he'd grown up with. They had, as boys, been uh, fooling around on the icy river, and the other boy had fallen in and nearly drowned, and Mark Twain had helped him to shore. The kid got pneumonia and was very ill for a very long time and as a result lost the hearing in, in his ears. He became deaf. Mark Twain didn't see him until he grew up as an old man and came back to Hannibal, and there was this guy greeting him, saying, same damn fools, Sam. <clears throat> what we talked about first, 2005, Minneapolis, three decades later, how little we remembered that first hasty trip, the day after Christmas, Nixon in the White House, gas 29 cents, Maroon Ford Galaxy blasting against gray winds. Rushed to beat a blizzard. Roadside spittled with puzzling white frost. Until we saw it was cotton. Tall chocolate women stooped over the crop, inching along. A catch bag trails their path. Skinny dog trails the bag. Kids trail the dog. Stopped at Sambo's Cafe. We played at stuttering shuffling as if chains bound our ankles, cracked jokes about Mississippi senators, but Jim said it would fetch bad luck. And abruptly we quit kidding, skipped breakfast, dragged out, gravel snapping the hind wheels, passed a fast southbound freight tracking the Gulf port, watched the slow river stroke toward New Orleans. Divorced, feeling free, we caught Shreveport, country and western on the AM dial. Thought mostly of eat, sleep, then a stroll in the quarter, red beans and rice, shots of bourbon, Dixieland, maybe a barfly for the night, maybe the blues. Jim wrinkles a lip, asks, is grits plural? The view downstream, 2005. The first night, starlight in a warm Minnesota sky, whispery river below the bridge, a cream-colored froth reflects city lights, slides toward a delicate bend. The West Bank Bluff stretches, shifts the current eastward, portside, as a hand presses against the dancer's waist, draws the lover away, then back in close embrace, a bump, a glance. The blend, the bend blocks the view, arouses what lies beyond the shore's thigh. Does the high breeze cool the beach? What's on this side of the night? 
the point above the town and the point below, bounding the river glimpse, still and brilliant and lonely. Riverside glistens, comb green, a softball field. Boys gather gloves and jackets, walk together after the game. We parallel their path on the bridged height, approach tall branches of bare trees, dressed with castaway pairs of gym shoes, a girl's brassiere, strange ritual of wintered students. Here, I said to Jim, here's where we start. And so we began our little journey uh, along the river's edge. Started on the west side, the west bank of Wisconsin. Against the skyline, Diamond Bluff, Wisconsin. Winter thin trees against the gray skyline. Not a route marker in half an hour's wandering. Jim and I, city boys, circle woodsy roads, disoriented, but not for long. Before us, a cinder block cathedral, freshly painted, bright lavender. Border lounge. Well, well, Jim studies the billboard. Exotic dancers. I know what we do 30 years back. Jim also knows. Let's not go there. What they talk about on Saturday afternoon, Lake Pepin, Wisconsin. Apple roasting, sizzling on a hearth, sugar, a drench of cream. In the chrome cafe, perched above frayed cabins on stilts, the talkative chefs, a software prodigy turned sandwich maker, shows a flair for minced ginger, peanut sauce. Late sun leans against the Minnesota bluff across the river. Orange streaks skim the current. Snagged islands float offshore. An outboard motor barks. Entering loudly, a bundled mother, stout daughter, order April's first burgundy cherry rum, double scoops on sugar cones, plunk down on swivel stools, chat about readying rooms for summer tourists, end of the drought. Not much work lately, thick Swede lilt. We'll start tomorrow. Seasoned woman, wallet in hand, approaches the counter boy. How much money should I take out? Asks her cautious voice, about to cast the winter's hoard to spring. So we continued south on the West Bank in Wisconsin. I'm sort of going to skip over some of these towns. You can read them all if you want. My grandpa was two, Trumpelow, Wisconsin. Uphill block of red brick buildings open for waterside business, 1888, year my grandpa turned two. Grain merchants now gone, the Wood Woodsman's Society Old Sawbones Barber, gone. Above the river, an oblong plaque badges the arched doorways. Makes me remember the immigrant glacier, my grandpa, who windowed such buildings. He'd stand one black boot braced on the highest rung, one hung in space, in step balancing a light of glass about to enter the frame. He'd hum a gravelly tune, dance his body weight, heave big shoulders, push hard, then tap a tin dart into the sash. Before my eyes, the building rises, 
as two gentlemen pass behind me. One points his cane, saying to his spry mate, my daddy used to own that site. And the workers who sang, my grandpa, as if someone kicked the ladder from under their feet, dropped from the scaffold, vanish from a small town's past. Went down to La Crosse and then crossed over to the other side of the river, the Iowa Bluffs. And uh, wound up on a Sunday afternoon at the riverside in Guttenberg, Iowa. Silence is audible until Ingram's towboat motor starts to cough. Jolts awake the suited man on the riverside bench. He glares at the harsh engine, shoving a herd of barges downstream around the jutting point. What remains is Sunday afternoon. Springtime on the pier, boys' fish break into laughter. An old-timer grinds a reel. His pulls attract attention, but the line suddenly falls slack. The running river speaks in signs, spills a low wave to shore, startles a bare-armed mother spoon-feeding her baby on the grass. Slow sun scorches the torpid air, the wakened man lifts a staticky radio to his ear, catches the first pitch from St. Louis. Uh, of course, as we go down this river, we're talking to each other the whole time. We're talking about uh, our own situation. We're lifelong friends, really, you see, but we haven't done this in ages. We talk of our fathers driving to Dubuque, who were never older than we are, Fatherless boys, bred by men who moved on, leaving our fathers with only what lay under skin. Steel backs, an ear for pitch. Bodies that would explode into enormous fits of laughter at being their own fathers and ours. Big men, they earn their bread, hope for a break. Never understood the rules of the game, that there was a game. A brooding rage loomed over their little boys, the smoke they blew, frightening. Our fathers envied us, eventually, had meant no harm. But we parented our own boys more gently. Our sons, already men, with boys and girls. Such speed, Jim, such distance. Your Cossack grandpa's sword slashing my Litvak Jews. Today, we shipped river postcards to four grandchildren. Now we sing in two voices. Lyrics of those hard-worked fathers struggling to sink roots in concrete streets. Our grandchildren's songs of Sesame Street. The letter K say for a kiss. The number two for their lips. We grasp hands our fathers never held. I'll take you on a digression to Grant's house, Galena, Illinois. Jim opens the screen door, horsehair rocker idles in the front room. Abandoned kettles squat on the cold stove. Lead-lined tub holds dusty dishes. Creaky stairs lead to the bedrooms, the general's black linen suit, shapeless as spirit 
hangs in the bare closet. Kalina, a parenthesis for the not yet General U.S. Grant, failed soldier, farmer, sales clerk, hand strapped to his father's harness shop, then catapulted through carnage into glory. Shiloh, Vicksburg, ground-shaking thunder crashes, bombshells scream and crash. Chattanooga, the wilderness, Appomattox. Back home, the hero, a rose petal parade. City fathers gifted the red brick house on a hillside. Since Grant has whipped the rebel Lee and open trade from sea to sea, our goods and price must soon advance. Then don't neglect the present chance to call on Grant. Strangers rushed him for handshakes, his autograph. The great man shrugged, yearned for a busy life, left town forever, closed the parenthesis. I've been thinking, says Jim, south of Healy, Iowa. Slow drizzle brushes the rolling Iowa bluffs. Cows cluster beneath budded leaves. Across the bridge over swollen Spruce Creek, damp light gray sky blossoms with song. I whistle to the birds. I've been thinking, Jim says, pauses a moment, out drops the news about retiring. Thoughts race back. The shy boy ambitious to teach history. How men bowed before majesty. Pioneers roasted buffalo humps, rebreathing buried voices. Forty years, he's lectured. Retiring? Sees my surprise. Starts to say, stops. I know why he's embarrassed. For years we've joked about the idle prospect. Old men raising beers, golf sticks, baggy hindquarters. His eyes shrink in dull light. Look away to the nearest woolly green island. What about history, I plead? Whose history, he snaps. Tell the river, 10 minutes later. Pretend the river's your student, Jim. Explain the French influence, the English, Spanish, American Indian, African American, Yankee, Dixieland. Talk about Jefferson, Louisiana Purchase. Tell the river about everyone who would own it. Three days downriver through Bellevue, Clinton, the Quad Cities. The river mines her business, wheats, oats, rye, ride elevators into open mouth boats. Where glaciers stop, the landscape flattens, river bluffs shrink. Men with chains parcel the earth into checkerboard farms. Excavated Davenport's gravel pits. Look out for blowing dust, the quarry signs warn. And just when machines nearly bury the river, a horn blasts three times. Look, look, look. And who's here but the Ingram towboat, 22 hours south from Guttenberg, still shoving six barges downstream at Leclerc. Another mile, and the shoreline flares into redbuds, pink dogwood, flowering apple, peach, mulberry, yellow forsythia. The topsoil gleams like onyx in rainlight, the beauty of the beauty parlor sign. This little town is heaven to us. Please don't drive like hell. 
We stick to the Blacktop Highway, Burlington, Fort Madison, First Stars and Stripes, 1803, Keokuk, past Twain's print shop. Nothing so pretty as blurred memory. We catch the river's next bridge, cross over her rolling belly just for the tickle she gives. And so uh, we continued down, crossing back and forth, um, and came really to what I thought was my own epiphany in um, Mark Twain's hometown, Hannibal, Missouri. I want to read you just a couple of those, and then we'll scoot further downstream <clears throat> because we're all heading for New Orleans, you know. But the good parts are really where the river's a little smaller upstream. Hazy day, just after sunrise, Hannibal, Missouri. Jim patrols past tourist shops, pushes open a cafe door. Deep fries choke the air. Mustachioed workers puff breakfast cigars. We browse Christian flyers taped to the counter, gung-ho for the troops in Iraq, assorted patriot clamor. We hear Twain grumble and sigh. Jim rolls his eyes, hold our opinions until outside, then stroll Twain's tourist route, America's hometown, the village he revisited. New houses saw, plainly enough, but through solid bricks and mortar, saw the vanished houses, formerly stood there with perfect distinctness. Mark Twain Museum, Mark Twain Hotel, the Mark Twain Clopper, the Mark Twain Museum Annex, Clemens Justice of the Peace Office, Mark Twain's boyhood home, the anchored red, white, and blue side-wheeling Mississippi steamboat, red-lettered capitals, Mark Twain. Whole towns rehabilitated, restored, whitewashed, gentrified, facsimile, least ticketed, priced. And then Jim spots real trouble in very fine print. This park monitored by video surveillance. You just picture Mark going back there, you know. <clears throat> oh, I'm gonna skip a little bit here, but um, we run into two boys below Cardiff Hill when Mark Twain played as a kid. Interlocked as bronze lovers, they play on the eternal playing field. Slingshot in one boy's pocket, corncob pipe in the others. Destined to be pirates, explorers, pilots, more likely casualties in the coming civil war. Comrades and yet not comrades, color and condition interposed a subtle line. Tom and Huck. Fine boys, we hear a tourist say. Fine white boys, mutters Jim, his namesake left off the squad. Anyway, we got down to about New Orleans, uh, St. Louis and then took a break. We'd done the first part of the trip in April. We both had lives to live. I went back to California. Jim went to where he lives in, in southern Illinois. And then we linked up again in August at the, in St. Louis again. Coming back into the country below St. Louis, landing after dawn at Lambert Field, airport packed, sudden screams, two black fighter jets race down the runway, shutter the walls, panic turns my stomach, the country's still at war. I rush for an exit, find Jim behind the wheel. The air-conditioned Chrysler's running, in minutes we reach another landscape, hushed 
unmoving. A sullen heat descends, airless. The distant river, a crescent, drifts blue between yellow hills, cornfields tawny, drought parched. Spring dreams dissolved, powder in the palm. The land is hard, flat as the vanished riverbed. Still, the cool waters are flowing south to refresh the seeds or confirm despair. We had a lot of fine adventures looking for the river too. It's because there's a river that there's no roads that run alongside the river. And every once in a while we would find ourselves in a strange place and had a lot of excitement in the journey. Um, there's a lot of little stories like that going down. We wound up in a place called Cairo, Illinois. Ancient wisdom. Brisk town, substantially built, reports the steamboat pilot. Grim town, mean, insists Jim, leading me along steamy streets, temperature over 100 degrees. A bare-chested man play, spraying bug poison from a rubber hose. His wife, three kids, watch, squat outside the uncooled trailer. Two corner boys, cigarettes dangle in thin lips, stare defiantly. On her daddy's porch, a young grandmother recalls child summers. Splash sounds, screeches from the public pool, no black kids allowed. Instead, the stubborn mayor buried the pool. At the movies, she sat in nigger heaven until fires extinguished the feral downtown. Brick rubble fouls the sidewalks. Plywood replaces showroom glass. Across town, a shady mansion row survives on red brick streets, permits gardeners, cooks, maids during daylight. Other blacks understand not to parade white streets. The grandmother explains this ancient wisdom. Rather than change, the broad boulevard empties. Shops close early. Filling stations run out of fuel. The last restaurant posts a menu of misspelled pies. Lists customers' names, warning, bad checks. Haunts me, says Jim. So many unpaid ghosts. And then you come down to the great confluence um, where the Ohio River and the Mississippi River come together at a place called Fort Defiance. Um, just to back up for a second, you know, Mark Twain wrote Huckleberry Finn, and you remember that Jim was the runaway slave, and the object of the journey was to get to the confluence and then take the Ohio River and go into free states. And you were at this incredible point. You've got to stand. Any of you been to the confluence there? It's something else to see. Really quite amazing. So here was the clear Ohio water inshore, sure enough. And outside was the old regular muddy. Here is America's heartbeat. Two spinning rivers writhe in circles, charge into the watery labyrinth. Another beat another maddened run. Here is America's torn body, battered as the continent. Here, tectonic plates broke the earth, shuddered plains, shook the river until her waters ran backward. Here lies the nation's sin. 
mixture of blue northern currents and mud-brown channel. No operatic course of Old Man River can avert retribution. Huck and Jim, tricked by fog and fear, couldn't escape. They missed confluence. Here, Twain's pen stopped cold. Mister, is that town Cairo? If you want to know, go and find out. If you stay here bothering around me for about a half a minute longer, you'll get something you won't want. Here, read the future as the human palm. Here, the forests breathe bad air. Water's undrinkable. Rubble chokes the channel. Here, the note falls due. Here, nature's nation, wounded, proceeds without us. You know, Mark Twain was writing that book, and he got to that point, and they missed the confluence, and he stopped writing it for six years. Didn't know where to go with it. <clears throat> so anyway, onward we went. And uh, oh, yeah, one of the things about Huckleberry Finn, someone told me this after they saw this. The most commonly used word in Huckleberry Finn is lonely. So I have these three poems here. I'll read a couple of them called The Loneliness of River Towns. South from Hickman, Kentucky, a pretty town perched on a handsome hill. The solitude of river towns, storefronts broken, Dixie Theater closed, last boats a century gone, creaking freight trains bound elsewhere. No cafes, we with plastic forks in a filling station, order bottles of bud. The elderly soft-voiced waitress apologizes. I just don't know anything about beer. The loneliness of the river towns, too, Tiptonville, Tennessee. Unchanging sameness of serenity, repose, tranquility, lethargy, vacancy, symbol of eternity. A 1941 lunch menu taped to the wall in a secondhand shop. Two men wearing straw hats laugh about the night a tourist drove clear through town into the brown stream. The older one snaps a match against his nail, lights a cigar, laughs again, clear through. And then uh, we got into Southern Illinois, Southern Missouri, then we entered into Arkansas, came to Mississippi, uh, Memphis, the Memphis Levee. Here I'll read this one. Someone said something about gravity. Gravity and the river on the Memphis Levee. The big river pours south as gravity wraps around the moon. No white water or rapid falls, monotonous, steady flow. Under a blazing sun where the high bridge attaches Arkansas to Tennessee, blurred color streaks. Eighteen-wheelers in a high-speed chase. Autos blare, squeal rubber down the mid-city ramps. Here the river's wider than a mile, stretches from cotton fields to cobbled streets. Big waters born 800 miles above rush downstream toward bone-dry acres 400 miles below. Subvert the human scale. We don't talk much about women. Two men shy to talk about women we've loved except ex-wives, the way failed husbands Regret blows they gave and received. Later we take turns recalling the ones who slipped away, 
interludes, affairs, opportunities found and lost. We don't talk much about women who love us, afraid to show we're vulnerable. Anyway, I taught down in, um, in, in the Delta many times to high school teachers. Some of these poems reflect the earlier journeys. Um, this is from a town in West Helena, Arkansas, called The Unfortunate Incident. Am I boring you all? Is this okay to go on? I don't want to go too long. Main Street of the Blues. I'll tell you why. Jim says, here 10 years ago, I asked the oldest man I ever met to tell a story he'd heard from the oldest man he'd ever met. Black sharecroppers at a nighttime meeting, cabin surrounded by orange-tipped cigars. Guns flashed. The wounded ran into the woods, treed for days. Hunters tossed the bodies onto northbound freights. Now, no one knows what Jim's talking about. The unfortunate incident is gone. Jim's just learned the oldest man he ever met has died. Mississippi, we had a good time in Mississippi. Um, Benoit, Winterville Mounds, where they have the Native American you know, burial mounds down there. Vicksburg, where you can see a lot of a lot of people buried in the National Cemetery. Uh, we wound up to the oldest trail um, that whites, when whites settled the area, they found this old trail that they called the Natchez Trace. Steps in the wilderness along Natchez Trace. We searched for signs in the woods, faded footprints, a broken stick. I tried to picture the ones who preceded us earlier selves. Where did we lose the way? Today there's no trace, no wilderness. The 40-mile parkway barbered, shady trees, smooth shoulders, cucumber green grass rolls into hayricks, a monotonous ride. It's why children fall asleep in the back seat. Adults speak softly of destinations. Where we approach New Orleans, Jim and I, retrace the map Pursue our mad descent, the fear we had of renewal starting over. We took a little room upstairs, big beds on a balcony street. A friend's Tampax spilled out of my bag. A smile lit Jim's face, dark eyes singing. Because I'm a southern gentleman, I'll just surmise. To the saloon, barmaids cooed and goosed. Sugar bowl boys dipped snuff. Jim bought bourbon and branch water, two by two. We swaggered into noisy streets, shoved to Jackson Square, the old general grabbing his bucking horse. Two-man brass band blew the saints. We edged through a urine-smelling passageway, pulled toward afternoon light, found the levee, water-wide, running. Here they are, they broke for the river, after them, boys, and turned loose the dogs. Riverborne, two young men cross the stream. Scent evaporates. Hounds scratch and howl along the shores. A grizzly sheriff mutters, gone. Not even a smile was findable anywhere. Perdition's what remains, being lost. No mailbox, dental chart, 
No skeptical detective chases the cold trail. Gone without a trace, we'd scarcely imagined how far they recede time. Soon we'll touch the horse's tail, stand where the river pours into the sea. We won't face each other, but turn to allow an upriver glance, turn back to shivered loss. So we were getting toward New Orleans, and this was getting to be a real point of tension between us because, you know, what are you going to do when you get to New Orleans? You know, going to hug and kiss and say what? And, you know, neither of us too sentimental about the thing. And we kept talking about how we were going to pass through New Orleans and keep going. But we got to Natchez on a Saturday afternoon about 4 o'clock and found a motel. And then you know, went across the river to Vidalia, Louisiana, where they had one of those endless gambling places that float. This is called Visible Saints. Vidalia, Louisiana. Bidding on anything that turned up, he can outjump any frog. Two dopes. We could become millionaires. Beat the loosest slots on the Isle of Capri, where fortune flutters below the bluffs. Sparkling churches, sermons, prayers. The second chance that comes at night, Jesus riding a blackjack to the perfect ace. Lucky, uncommonly lucky, ready and laying for a chance. A jingled gospel calls the reprobate to casino tent camp. Speedboats slap the current, crawl past the jetty. Shuttle buses dip toward shore, Autos flashing headlights. At the threshold, men open-collared in tuxedos plant cigarettes in bowls of sand. Afro-women come in gowns. A worker lunchbox tucked at the elbow strides inside. A frog so modest and straightforward, for all he was so gifted. Fearless before house rules, intelligent design, Players approach green felt tables, ritualistic, lips in silent prayer, furtive kiss to the dice, the bet, the roll. As they entered, so they exit. Winners and losers equal, and next time for sure, they'll dwell among God's chosen children. Bet on Parson Walker, the best exhorter. All the frog wanted was education. Sunday morning, we spot a white pimp Cadillac limo, satellite antenna on the hood. Two rectangle plaques gleam in sunshine. Clergy, pastor. The aged driver emerges, leaning on a crooked cane, limps to his pulpit. Jim, I inquire, you think the meek inherit the earth? This casino goes, he smirks. The whole town's done. And then we come to our reprieve. Natchez, Mississippi. Einstein's right. Time bends toward mass, quickened by years, but crawls into caves of echoed voices. We began, Mississippi slept in bed. No point to the trip, but its possibility. Now we know more. This time is the last time. We're not ready for the end. 
advanced toward a throng gathered in a motel lobby, staring at TV, rolling headlines forecast today. Bracing for Katrina, evacuate New Orleans. The city's closed, no entry. Quickly we calculate the odds. Let's go south, ride out the storm, and, but there is no end. And uncontrollable as hurricane rain drenches the land, our fear evaporates. What Jim and I know, not frustration, but deliverance, reprieve. And so we, uh, we cut back across the river and had to drive all the way back up to St. Louis. I'll read you the last poem. It's called Postscript to a Flood. Been from Mark Twain, the last quote. Noah and his family were saved, if that could be called an advantage. Trapped by insistent coverage, aerial views of heroic rescue, failure, the waters rising. A woman in pale nightgown, hair soaked, wails on a rooftop, calls for her boy. As rain falls, we get newsroom advice. Stock up on matches. Name tag your children. As if, says Jim, the river will stop. From elongated tail to slippery tongue, nothing but that frail breastwork of earth between the people and devastation. Skin insulates the body. The puncture bleeds. Dark waters dissolve, submerge, the earth sinks. This river is a planetary seam. Doesn't reason, think, want. What are two people to a river? The same as 2,000, two billion. Mississippi is everything they are not. The river outlives every desire. Immortality is a human misunderstanding. When I say goodbye to Jim at the airport, we know the continent can't last forever. So thank you very much. <clears throat>